today specifically, we're going to talk about a hero that has a little bit of a name tag and a little bit of a descriptor on them. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 is where we're going to start. And this is what it says. It says, by faith, uh, yeah, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So it would be really cool to get a shout out in Hebrews 11, being known as a hero of the faith. But imagine if the only shout out that you got, all of your baggage was out for everyone to see. Like it's hard enough to do something dumb that you maybe regret and like to carry that burden with you just naturally, right? It's hard enough to have the shame and the guilt that comes from doing something that you maybe regret. But how much more embarrassing is it if everyone else now knows your baggage? You know, isn't that why we try to hide it in the first place? Like when we're introducing ourselves, I'm pretty sure no one put on here that they might be an alcoholic or might be an addict or might have something in their, in their story with, if they were to describe themselves, they're not putting anything bad on here. They're putting all the good stuff, right? And yet God has preserved in his word this person named Rahab and a little bit of a descriptor. And that's not a really like a flattering one. And so that's really what we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna talk about our sin, like personally, like my sin, your sin, but we're gonna talk about how there's this guilt and shame that comes from it, which we all already know. We experience that all the time. But we're gonna talk about how there's a freedom in Christ, how we can be free from all the shame and all the guilt that comes from our sin. And so in student ministry uh, on Wednesday nights, we do this thing where I kind of give out a, a big idea, like a man, it is the whole sermon in one sentence to kind of help you understand where we're going. And if the only thing you remember is this one sentence, then you can have something to talk about at lunch because you know the whole thing in one sentence. And this is the big idea for today is that by faith, you can be free from specifically the shame of your sin. By faith, you can be free from the shame of your sin. And how we're gonna do that, we're gonna look at the past, we're gonna look at the present, we're gonna look at the future specifically of Rahab. Look, all of your blanks are already filled out. It's super easy. Guys, I do student ministry. I've made it so easy for us to follow along. So we're gonna look at Rahab and look at her past, her present, and her future. So let's look at the story of Rahab, which is found in Joshua chapter two. Um, We're gonna pretty much spend the rest of our time in there. So if you have a Bible, you can pretty much just camp out in Joshua two. It's super easy to find. It's like the sixth book of the Bible. Um, And a little bit of context that's led up to Joshua chapter two is uh, there's the group of people that is called the Israelites. They're God's chosen people. And they were in captivity in Egypt. And then there's, they were led by this guy named Moses. God did the 10 plague thing. And then they were freed from captivity in Egypt. And then they are heading towards the promised land. The promised land is this land called Canaan. And it was the land that God had promised all the way back when to Abraham. So they're going through the wilderness. They do a bunch of dumb stuff. So their time gets a little bit longer while they're in the wilderness. And what happens is Moses eventually dies. And so then now there's just this guy named Joshua. Joshua is the new guy in charge. And Joshua isn't just like, uh, you know, the president or so, but he's also kind of like this military leader, this kind of guy who's in charge of conquering all the land because the thing is that there's a bunch of people in their land that they were promised. And so what happens is Joshua's in charge. They conquer pretty much all of the land on the east side of the promised land. And so all that's left is this big river called the Jordan River. And that is the only thing separating them from them the promised land. And so that's kind of where we pick up right here in Joshua chapter two. 
And it says, uh, verse one, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Time out real quick. There's nowhere in scripture that implies that they were going there to get some. They were going there specifically to hide because they wanted to go to a place where they could lay low and people weren't asking any questions. So just real quick, that's why they were there. Um, but these spies were Israelites. So they are from a different place. They had a different accent. They wore different clothes. And so they got found out regardless. And so it keeps going and it says, um, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out all the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them and said, and she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out and I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax and laid an order on the roof. Meaning like, it's kind of like, imagine hay. Like if they were going to be dried out, they would just be dried out on the roof. And so it was really easy for people to hide underneath there. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords. That's talking like the shallow kind of marshy part of the Jordan. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So if you are taking notes um, and you weren't able to pick up on it, point number one, we're just going to talk about the past, specifically Rahab's past. Point number one, the past. Here's the thing is in this story, we have one main character and the, the main character, her name is Rahab, right? And we don't really have to do a whole lot of imagination to kind of describe maybe some of the things that was in her past. It says specifically, like what we can see from the text is that Rahab was a liar because she lied to the king and the people. She was a Gentile woman. So meaning she wasn't part of the inner circle that were the Israelites. And uh, she was a prostitute. And so we don't have to do a whole lot of imagination to kind of think of maybe what happened when she was a kid maybe what her parent's situation was like, all the things in her past that led her to the moment that is Joshua too. She had a past and she had things that she probably regrets. She had things happen to her that she would wish would never happen. She had all these things in her story that she probably hated. And so do we. I mean, so do I and so do you. Like we all have a story of things that have led you to this room right here. Or if you're watching online to your, wherever you're watching from. Everyone has a past. Everyone has a story that's led to this moment right here. So let me ask, like, what is your story? And not just like the, well, I was born here, raised here, things like that. Like, that's part of it. But like, what are those things that have shaped you in a good way or a bad way? The things that have, ha that have happened to you, the things that you've done to other people, the things that you regret, the things that if anyone knew right now, you would be so embarrassed. The things that you're not telling anybody, the things that you hate, the things that you regret doing, like what those things, what's in your story? I don't know what was in Rahab's story specifically um, outside of just lying prostitute, but I know it's in my story. Um, I know what would be on my name tag that I would hate if all of you people found out. Um, and there's really kind of these big things that, that mark, and it's going to be a little kind of awkward because I wasn't planning on holding this, but the things that would be on my name tag, uh, 
the first one, and there's no particular order on this, but there's so much of my story that would be marked by this. It's this word called lust. And a lot of people could probably, you know, speculate of all the things that that entails, but the simplest thing is this, like, I dated the wrong way. And not just dated the wrong way, but man, like, I manipulated so many situations and I treated other people as anything less than someone made in the image of God. I've done things that I am now suffering the consequences for in marriage, where there's these disagreements, there's these things, it's like, well, why is this the way it is? And it's like, well, because I, I messed up earlier. Like, friends, like, lust is a thing that I'm like, man, like, I, I am not introducing myself to people with this to start with. But lust is just one thing. Another thing um, is maybe if you've taken the, it's called the strength finders test. It gives you like, there's 36 different strengths. And I've taken it like four times. And every single time, there's this one strength that kind of keeps showing up. And it's a strength because people are like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And the strength is called woo. I don't know if you are familiar with it, but it just stands for winning others over. <laughs> Spelled that wrong. I managed to misspell a W. Um, but friends, like, in the corporate world, winning others over is a really valuable thing. Because it's like, man, first impressions, you care about the, the hospitality, you want people to feel loved and welcome. And that's true. And I thank God for that. Um, the downside of that is the root issue, the sin thing underneath that is people pleasing. I am a slave to what people think about me. Why else do you think I care about first impressions so much? Because I want you to like me. I mean, we could talk about all the, the, I'm not a psychologist. And so we could talk about like identity issues and everything like that. And, and, wanting people to like me because they didn't like me before. And I don't know all that stuff and I probably need to go to counseling for it. It's not a joke, probably should. But here's the thing though. The root issue on this is people pleasing. And I have done horrible things, embarrassing things, not just to other people, but to myself so that other people can like me. That's, those are some of the things in my story, but what's in your story? And the last thing, um, I know I'm not alone in this one, is this thing that some people say was the original sin, but it's this big thing called pride. Where I'm only 24 years old, and yet I think that I'm smarter than other people. I, I have done stupid things in staff meetings. I've done stupid things in relationships. I've done stupid things in friendships, all because pride has been the one that's running the show. Because I have done messed up things because I think that I'm better in some way, shape, or form. So these are the things that are, would be, I would say, are in my story. These are some of the things that have done, that I have done because of them. But let me ask, like, what's in your story? Maybe your story is something where you're like, you know, when you went on your honeymoon, you knew exactly what to do. Or maybe on your honeymoon, you had no idea what to do and you were terrified. Like anyway, like on any part of the spectrum, what's in your story? Uh, a couple months ago on Father's Day, we had a root beer keg in the lobby. Maybe in your story, you had no idea what that was or how to tap into it. Or maybe you were a pro and you're even knowing how to stand on it and everything like that. Like, like anywhere on the spectrum, like what's your story? What are those things that you wish you could take back? I don't know what yours is, 
I know what's, what's in my story, and I don't know what Rahab's is, but we all have a story that's led us to this moment. And so that's the past. That's Rahab's past. But then now let's go to the present, meaning what changed? Point number two, the present. Like what changed in Rahab's story to, to shift everything, but specifically for us in the room? Like, cool, everything in the past is, has happened and we're all right here, right now. So let's look at Joshua 2, verse 8. Um, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And uh, verse 10 is just a bunch of different conquests like by name that they've done. In verse 11, uh, Rahab continues and says, um, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Verse, uh, verses 12 through 16 is kind of then Rahab making this deal with the spies and being like, hey, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I spared your life. Can you promise, let's make a deal that you will protect and spare our lives when you guys conquer the city called Jericho. And so they make the deal. And the men said to her, verse 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Behold, when we come to the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And so the spies, they were spared. They make a deal with Rahab. And the only thing that she has to do to be spared is just kind of tie this red scarlet cord in her window to warn Israel, hey, don't destroy this one. Don't destroy the people inside this home. And there's some cultural context to kind of what the scarlet cord type thing like either was and is. And, uh, and historically, like in its context, this was probably like the original red light. You know, this was a thing that Rahab had probably done before. This was a, a little thing that she would hang outside of her window. That's, and it's not like a, a big like cord that you would like repel out of a helicopter or anything. It was probably like a size like this. Bear with me. Let me unfold this for a second. It was probably... Which, here it is. It's probably something like this. Okay, I'm, side note, I really thought I was going to get more for that. I can grab a Raiders one if, I, if you guys want me to. It's in the back, but okay. Thank, thank you. I was like, guys, come on. We're talking about sin. Let's, let's break it up a little bit. Just, okay. But it was literally probably just something like this to just let other people know, hey, God protects this house. And that's why I still keep this in my office at work because God protects this house. But anyway, friends, like, Here's the thing, like that was the historical context. Actually, I can just put that right there. It's not American flag, it's okay, we're good. Um, but here's the thing, like there is a picture though that this is talking about that's way bigger than just a red cord just letting her know that she was open for business because that's literally what it was in, originally. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Moses and the 10 plagues and how um, there is this specific one that uh, Israel, they were told, hey, if you kill an innocent lamb, and you use the blood and you paint the doorpost, then what will happen is when the angel of death passes through, it will see the blood of the lamb and then you'll be spared. And so Israel, they would have just seen this picture. And so then they're like, hey, so let's just do the same thing. Hey, hey you do the, the red thing over the doorpost, over the window, and then we'll see it. And then again, we'll know for this place to be spared. But even bigger than that, like symbolically is a picture that God's done from Genesis three all the way to like New Testament stuff where in Genesis three, like Adam and Eve, they sinned and what happens? God could have rightfully destroyed Adam and Eve, but instead he destroys an innocent creature. 
and uses literally the, the, the wool of the animal to clothe Adam and Eve. And so instead of Adam and Eve being destroyed, the innocent is destroyed. And this happens even with Abraham and Isaac. Again, like we talked about this a couple uh, weeks ago as well. In Genesis, I think it's uh, 22. In Genesis 22, um, Abraham was gonna sacrifice Isaac, but instead God provides a ram. So the innocent is destroyed so that the person can be free and let go. Why do you think like the whole thing with the, the sacrifices in the temple are a thing in the Old Testament is because God set it apart from the very beginning for the innocent to die so that the sinful people can be forgiven and free. And this is the amazing thing that, that Chris talked about a couple weeks ago is that this was just a glimpse into John chapter one, uh, verse like 37, where there's this guy named John the Baptist. He was probably a uh, loved potlucks. He never drank in front of anyone else, but there's this guy named John the Baptist and he sees Jesus walking down the road and he says, behold the lamb of God. Because John the Baptist knew this was the guy that was gonna end everything. This was the ultimate perfect sacrifice that was gonna work for and cover everything else. We don't need to go to a temple anymore and sacrifice like once a week or so. No, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And every sacrifice in the Old Testament was just a little glimpse. It's almost like little Easter eggs that led to Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus. And that's the crazy thing. Like when we think about it, like that's why specifically Jesus had to die. Like Jesus wasn't going to just like uh, flippantly just forgive people because that's not how he works. That's not how he set it up from the very beginning. No, Jesus died because that's how God set it up. The innocent dies so that the sinful broken people can be forgiven. And that's how God set it up from the very, very beginning. Uh, Romans chapter five, verse six, it says, for while we were still weak, and I'm just pause there. This is being like, we could not dig ourselves out of the hole that we dug ourselves in. Like while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, while we were broken, while we were hurting, we couldn't do anything about it. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Time out. Christ died for the ungodly. So if you are, are, are godly by your own work and you've done all the good things, you, you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you get your quiet time in every single day, you serve at church, you even give at church, like those things don't make you godly. And the good news is, is that Christ didn't die for the godly. He died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. He died for broken people. He died for the people who don't have all their stuff together. He died for the people who are in desperate need for forgiveness. And so if that's you, if you're in, in desperate need for forgiveness, you are the perfect candidate for the forgiveness of Jesus. But if you think that you have everything by yourself, then why, what's the point of Jesus? If you're good by yourself, what's the point of Jesus? And so this whole thing of picture after picture of Jesus being the ultimate perfect sacrifice is exactly what happened with Rahab, where it's this whole thing of the blood being the reason why the person can be spared. Like Jericho destroyed, like deserved to be destroyed. Rahab deserved to be destroyed. And yet by faith, she wasn't. And so here's the crazy thing. This forgiveness wasn't just a thing for Rahab at the time. This forgiveness isn't just a thing that for the Old Testament or just for the New Testament. Like this forgiveness is ready and available to every single person in this room. Every person, again, this we're talking about the present right now. 
if you are hearing this, this forgiveness is ready and just willing and wanting to forgive you, but it does cost something. And it costs the, the craziest thing in the world. And it, it's gonna cost the same thing that it cost Rahab and it costs the same thing that it cost Jesus. That's everything. If you want the forgiveness that Jesus has readily available for you, it's going to cost you the same thing that it cost him. And that's everything. And so how, how do we see this? Um, let's go back to Joshua chapter two. So the spies, they escape, they go back to Israel and then they tell them, hey guys, their hearts are melted. They think that we're gonna, they are ready for us to destroy them. So they throw a party, they get turned and that's chapter two. Chapter three is them getting ready to cross the Jordan River. It's an awesome story. You really should read it, but that's chapter three. They cross the Jordan River. Chapter four is them celebrating how they cross the Jordan River. Chapter five, all the boys get a surgery. We're not gonna talk about that one too much. Chapter six, is then where God is like, hey, so here's Jericho. I know that their hearts are melted. I know that they are terrified, but I'm gonna do something to make sure that you guys know who's really the one pulling all the heavyweight. Like, yes, you guys could destroy Jericho, but I'm gonna do it so I get the glory. So God, he's like, hey, I want you guys to do something crazy. You guys are gonna walk around it one time on one day. And you're gonna walk around it one time for six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, you're gonna walk around it seven times, scream, and then watch what happens. So literally when in Hebrews 11, where it's talking about by faith, like this happened, like it's crazy. They could have destroyed it, but then if they would have done it, they would have gotten the credit. So God's like, hey, slow down. Let me get the credit for this because I've been doing everything from the start. And so they do it. They walk around it seven times. They scream and the walls, they fall flat down. And then verse 21, this is what happens. They charge in and it says, then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. Then verse 24 and 25, Rahab, she gets rescued in her family. And it continues in 26. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put it into the treasury um, of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute, again, you can't get rid of it, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to the spies of Jericho. We're going back to like, what is it gonna cost Rahab to be forgiven? What is it gonna cost us to be forgiven? And the thing is, is like in this story, everything in Jericho gets destroyed, except for Rahab, her bed destroyed. Her, like all of the places, like the markets and everything, all destroyed. Her brothel was destroyed. Her income was destroyed. And I promise you, like after this, there probably wasn't like a program called like Build Back Brothel Better. I promise you, it wasn't in there. It was gone. It was destroyed. And there wasn't any turning back. She had to trust that what God promised was better than what she had before. She had to leave everything behind her for the sake of following God. And I, I kind of keep using these like God and Jesus interchangeably uh, because Jesus is God 100% in the flesh. And so in the Old Testament, they were praying to God and then God's like, hey, I'm gonna send myself. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus. And so I, hopefully that's not super confusing when I keep going back and forth. But this is the crazy thing is that in the Old Testament, Rahab's like, I'm gonna trust God with everything. And this is what it looks like. Both hands open, whatever you want, it's all yours. And that meant the destruction of her income and her comfort and her life that she had before Jesus. And for us, it literally looks the exact same way. 
It's us looking to God, looking to Jesus, the one who died for us and being like, Jesus, I believe that you are better than everything else I have. Whatever you want, it's all yours. I'm gonna leave both hands. Oh, I can't do both hands. I'm gonna leave one hand open <laughs> like this for the sake of being like, Jesus, I trust you with everything. And here is the good news to the, to the friends and to the believers in the room. If you have done that, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you said, whatever you want, it's all yours. We use this phrase, like make Jesus the Lord of your life. You are forgiven from every dumb thing we've ever done in our past. And that's a promise. God isn't holding our things against us. He's like, hey, I'm gonna forgive the part that you never wanna tell anyone else. I'm gonna forgive the thing that you regret. I'm gonna forgive that thing that you did 10 years ago, that thing, that thing 50 years ago, like whatever it is, like that forgiveness is there, but that requires giving God everything. For Rahab, it looked like the destruction of her brothel and her income and her home. For us, what does it look like? And it's gonna look like something different for each one of us. For Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what does it look like? And my, I don't wanna give too many examples because the thing is, is like, that's a thing between you and God but is everything surrendered to the one, to the creator, to the king of the universe? That's why we're singing all hail King Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Like Jesus is rightfully king, whether you make him the king of your life or not. Like the crazy thing about that song is we sing all hail King Jesus. Like everyone's gonna sing it eventually. So you can either like hop on the bus beforehand and be like, Jesus, I trust you. I'm gonna place faith and I'm gonna prove it. I'm gonna give you everything or you can sing it forcefully later. But either way, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king forever and ever and ever. And so surrender is just being like, I believe it. And for Rahab, surrender looked like, yeah, I believe that God, God is really who he says he is. But when it comes to forgiveness though, being forgiven of our sins does not get rid of memories. So far, we haven't talked about shame and guilt really a whole lot, except for that we feel it. Like the, the stupidest thing that you've done, the thing that you regret, the thing that you wish you could take back is still here, whether you've been forgiven or not. God like graciously doesn't really get rid of memories. And so whether the worst thing you've ever done, there is so like an extreme level of intoxication that you like literally physically can't remember it. But whatever it is, like, we have memories and we have shame and we have guilt. And it's like, I, great, I'm forgiven, but I still don't feel good. What good is it to be forgiven if everyone else knows all my business? And so to, to see that, to see that in Rahab's story, let's go to point number three, the future. The future. Because there's not a whole lot that we know about Rahab outside of Joshua chapter two. You don't really see what happens and like what maybe her family looks like or anything like that until the New Testament in Matthew chapter one. And what happens is that in Matthew chapter one, there's kind of this, uh, literally it's like a name, it's a list of all of these people. I said, and this person fathered this person, and this person fathered this person, and this person fathered this person. And so then in Matthew chapter one, verse five, there's this weird thing. And it said, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, so meaning Salmon and Boaz, uh, Salmon and Rahab had a kid named Boaz. 
Boaz and Ruth had a kid named Jesse, sorry, Obed. Yeah, Jesse, Obed had the, I'm gonna read it. I'm just gonna read it. That's that's why I have the notes. I mean, scripture does a great job. Don't add to scripture. Don't add to scripture. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And eventually, if you keep reading, it says the father of Jesus. So this whole thing in Matthew chapter one is all setting up for God to kind of just flex on us for a little bit and just be like, hey, I'm going to use a lying Gentile prostitute as a great, 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 great something grandma of Jesus. Like Rahab was the great, great grandma of David. Like he's kind of the coolest guy in the Old Testament and his great, great grandma is a lying Gentile prostitute. It's crazy enough, like in this day, like to read this and have a a woman mentioned in this thing, like culturally and historically, like women were not highly viewed. They were just like, like they were mentioned, but then they're just kind of like almost like an afterthought. And yet God, in all of his love and grace, he doesn't degrade women. He restores their rightful dignity as image bearers here. And he's saying like, hey, I'm gonna use a lying Gentile prostitute so that way you can know that God is so much greater than that. And that's the whole thing. That's the whole point. And, and <laughs> amen. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go back. I'm not used to that at all. I'm really not because students don't talk back in the sermon. They talk back later. But anyway, here's the thing. I love Students, I love you. That's not in the notes. I'm so sorry. I'm, I need to stay on track. Jern, this is really hard. I'm so sorry. Guys, have grace on Jern because I get it now. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't just like share all the wins of people's lives. God in all of his sovereignty and wisdom, he records the wins and the losses of all these people. Like David called the man after God's own heart, the king, like all these cool things like that, killed people. He, he slept with someone else's wife, got her pregnant, and killed her husband. Like, like that's the David, like, and the Bible records that. So we know David's not the perfect guy and yet God still used him. Like Peter, disciple of Jesus, he's literally, he wrote like two books in the New Testament and he betrayed Jesus. The Bible didn't have to record that. And yet it does so that we can know, oh yeah, God can literally use anybody and forgive anybody and love anybody. And then last example, like really like a good one is, so I I call him the goat of Christianity after Jesus. His name was Paul. He wrote like most of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the Mediterranean Sea. Really, really cool guy. But before he was a Christian, he killed Christians. And he talks about it. And the thing is, is he still did all these crazy things. And here's the coolest thing. In in 1 Timothy, this is what happens. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. He says, this saying, or the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, hey, Jesus saved me to encourage everybody else. He could save anybody. That's what he's saying here. Like Paul literally killed Christians and yet he was forgiven and loved by the creator of the universe. 
So I promise whatever is in your story, there's nothing too bad that Jesus can't forgive and Jesus can't use. Have you killed Christians? Don't answer that out loud. But but here's the good news. Jesus already proved he can forgive people who've killed Christians before. So this is the coolest thing. And Paul, he doesn't like share this in his story to be like, oh yeah, look what I did in my past. No, he's like, look what I did with my past and look what God did in spite of it. So how, how does this impact this? Yes, there is lust in my story. Yes, there are consequences of that today. But guess what? God still loves me and God still saved me and God still used me in spite of what other people might throw on my name tag. Here's the thing. I'm not defined by this. I'm defined by being a child of God and nothing less. Yes, I have um, like people pleasing in my story. I've done so many dumb things because I've tried to win people over and literally like crave other people's affirmation more than God's. And God's like, I love that guy. I'm gonna forgive every single time that I've done and will still do that. And there's pride. Man, and, and pride's so dumb. It's so dumb. Because who are we really? If if we're Christians, if we have asked Jesus to forgive everything, why in the world are we trying to steal any glimpse of glory from the one who saved us? Pride is so dumb because God deserves everything. He is the one, he's the only one worthy of receiving praise and glory and honor and just celebration forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So God, he's like, yeah, I, I, I know that you have done some really stupid stuff because of pride. I know that you would say that pride would mark you and I wouldn't want to introduce myself to other people as being like, yeah, I'm calling the prideful. But God's like, hey, I want you to tell other people this is part of your story, but that is not your identity. That doesn't define you. I'm defined by a person who has been forgiven and loved by Jesus. So the whole people pleasing, I don't care what anyone says. I'm forgiven by Jesus. I love, I am loved by Jesus. And that's it. As we kind of close, I want to kind of ask this. I ask this with our students all the time and it really kind of helps like bring this down practically. But I ask this question, so what? So what? Like, great, you're forgiven. Great, you know, the, the shame and everything like that. Okay, so what? There's a couple different areas or categories that we can look at of how this practically applies to literally everything. And so I'm going to talk to the church for a second. I'm going to talk to specifically our local church, Discover Church, the people who are like, yes, I'm committed to the other members of this body that is called Discover Church. I thank God that the journey has led in such a way so that way this church is really clear about not being filled with perfect people. Like we have set the culture to where other people know, hopefully we are not perfect people. But the thing is, is that if we don't tell other people about it, if we don't keep that in the front of our minds then we will drift to legalism and we'll drift to being Pharisees and we'll drift to start comparing how much time we spend in each other's quiet times and we'll compare to how many verses we can memorize and we'll compare, you know, the, the songs or, or whatever it is. And church, like we can't be a church filled with perfect people because it's not there. It doesn't exist. We can't pretend like it exists either. No, let's be a church that knows each other and that loves each other in spite of whatever we have done in our story. 
And this is the thing, is that you can't be fully loved by the other people in your church if you are not fully known by the other people in your church. I'm gonna say, you can't be fully loved unless you are fully known. Because the thing is, if I'm wearing a mask the whole time, you're only gonna love the mask. And so the thing is, is like, because you guys know a little bit more of my story, if you still choose to love me, that is real love. Instead of superficial, like we're just trying to pretend like everything's okay and everything's fine. We're all like nice and clean dressed and everything like that. No, like let's be a church that knows each other and loves each other. And the best place for that is in small groups. Friends, like our small group semester is getting ready to start in September, I think. And I'm telling you what, like that is the best place to be fully known in a safe place to where you can be loved in spite of anything dumb you've ever done. This implies to our church, this implies to our spouses, like spouses, like I'm not, I'm, I can't give marriage advice. I've been married a whole year and a half. And yet what scripture is saying is we can't be bitter towards our spouse for something that they've done because God's not bitter with us when we do something dumb. The love and forgiveness is there. So let's share that love and forgiveness to our spouse, to our coworkers, the ones that you maybe don't mesh with, the ones that you don't agree with, the ones that you even would say that you hate. God loves them as much as he loves you. And he wants to give grace to that person as much as he wanted to give grace to you and wants to forgive that person as much as he wanted to forgive you. So let's go to our offices. Let's go to our work this week as little ambassadors, little Christians, little Christ. So we can be literally the only Christ that maybe some people will see. Let's love well. Let's love well. But then the last thing, last kind of group of people would be the person who's probably never personally experienced the forgiveness that Jesus has. Like how crazy would Rahab be if the spies left, she even sees uh, Israel walking around Jericho for six days. And on the seventh day, they're still walking around and she never hung the flag up. She saw, she kind of saw how much fun they were having. She saw the, the songs that they were singing, the smile on their face, the joy that they were experiencing, knowing what God was getting ready to do. And she just kind of waited. It's like, uh, I'll get to it. I'll do it later. I don't really know. That would be crazy. And yet, here's the thing, is that Jesus is like, hey, right now, I don't, I don't, I don't give a rip about anything that happens before. I don't care about right now. What are you going to do? Are you going to realize that you need a savior? Realize that every sin that you have ever done has literally separated you from a perfect, holy God. God that loves you so much. And a God that is willing and wanting to give you forgiveness. Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to accept that Jesus in 100% God, 100% man came to the earth, died the cross that we deserved instead of us? And this is the truth that God promises that if we place faith in Jesus, that he really was who he was and he really did what he said he did. And we surrender everything, both hands open. God, whatever you want, it's all yours. He says, you will be saved. Period, no ifs, ands, or buts. Are you gonna surrender everything or are you gonna wait till it's too late? At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835.
1-800-242-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.